Now, one important thing that you want to know about me is that I am really just like you. I have dreams and hopes that I want the Lord to do in my life. I also have had a ton of failures. I have a bad temper, and I make lots of mistakes because of it. I thank the Lord it's not the temper it used to be. I know it's still not where it want, he needs it to be, but I make a lot of mistakes just like you. I just want to say that in 2013, the Lord wants to take at least one or two of those areas. With me, it's going to be patience and my temper, I believe, and he has something for you this year that he wants to transform in your life so that right now at the beginning of the year where we have a clean piece of paper, he's going to write a love letter to us that at the end of this year, when we come to December 31st, we can say, hey, I might not be where I'm supposed to be, but I thank the Lord I'm not where I used to be. And that's what the life of faith is all about. So take a deep breath. Ah, relax, sink into your chair, and let's see what the Lord has in store. Who I am is not really that important tonight, though. What is important right now is who you are and where you are and what the Lord wants to do in your life. A few ladies at Watermark got together and we said, what do all the women have in common at our body? at Watermark, and really in Dallas at large, what are the common struggles that we're all dealing with regardless of age, life stage, or status? And we kind of came up with the top five. The first is we feel exhausted. Do y'all feel exhausted? <laughs> was it hard for y'all to get here tonight? I say that because it was hard for me to get here tonight and I'm speaking. <laughs> And at 4.45, one of my best friends dropped by the house to encourage me, and, she, and I had to be up here at 5.45, and she looked at me, she took one look at me, had no makeup on, my hair was greasy, I was in, in jogging clothes, and the house was torn apart, and she looked at me, she goes, I'll see you in a couple hours, I hope. <laughs> okay, y'all, we are exhausted. We are living in a day and age where we're just exhausted. Number two, we feel out of time. Do y'all feel like it? Do y'all know I have two alarms in my phone for every activity in my daily life. <laughs> I have one that's two hours before and one that's 15 minutes before because I constantly feel out of time. Do y'all feel out of time? Most of you do. Okay, three, we compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to others. And inevitably, we are comparing ourselves to women who we think have more, look better, are smarter, taller, more beautiful, have more Bible knowledge, the list goes on and on. And when we compare ourselves to others, we come up short. When we compare ourselves to others, we get into a place of total dissatisfaction, and it happens pretty quickly. And you know what? Because of the fall, we came out of the womb doing this as women. My five-year-old Becca May, she already, literally just today, do you like my siblings more than you like me? Does she look prettier than I do? She even said to me, do you like my friend down the street more than you like me? I said, Becca, ma'am, your mother, I love you with all my heart. She goes, well, you just called her sweetie. And you didn't call me that when we dropped her off. I said, Lord, child, you have got to learn at a very young age. Because you know what? Bad habits can die hard, right? We have got to learn. If we didn't learn as a child, we've got to learn right now. The kiss of death to your contentment is comparing yourself to others. And it's mine too. Four, we never finish our to-do lists. I've got pink, hot pink sticky pads all over my house. <laughs> I'm so disorganized. If I don't have these reminders, I forget what to do. But the curse in that of always trying to get, to, to get dinner on the table, get carpool done, is that, that the curse that that breeds is that so often we are stuck to what's urgent rather than what's important and valuable. But I feel like we all, we all have this issue. And five, we are held captive by technology. Whether it's feeling like right now one of your kids is texting you saying, Mom, come pick me up. I need to go somewhere. Cell phones, emails, just Facebook, Twitter, the list goes on. And we, we get overwhelmed by it. I get overwhelmed by it. Do y'all? Do you feel? All right, take a deep breath, another deep breath. <sighs> We're all dealing with the same stuff. Tonight... Our topic will face, hopefully, these issues because 
we sense that we all need to recharge. We all are in a place, and the beginning of the year is the best time of the year to recharge and get back on track with the Lord. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, 4 through 7, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Hallelujah. Let me say that again. I have fought the fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And he goes on to say that because of that, a glorious prize awaits him when he gets to heaven. And he says, and for all of those who have fought this fight, a reward awaits them as well. I want to get to the end of 2013 and say I've fought the fight. Proverbs says a righteous man falls down seven times, but what makes him righteous? He gets back up. So I want to say that. I know we all want to say that tonight. So what will we learn tonight? Tonight has two parts. One, we will meet Sarah through her life story. So we're going to talk about the character of Sarah. You may or may not know anything about her. And two, we have three takeaways that Sarah teaches us through her life journey in faith. The life of Sarah is going to teach us ultimately tonight that God's faithfulness far surpasses and is greater than all of our human failures. Is there something in your life right now that you feel like you've done that the Lord just can't forgive? Or some mistake you've made, in, some, some made, some detour you've taken that's just taken you off the path and out of the race? Tonight you're going to get back in the race. Say, I'm going to get back in the race. Look, look next to you and say, I'm getting back in the race. We're going to be like Paul. We're going to say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I remain faithful. And we're going to do that by the grace of God. Like, what are y'all laughing about? It's, okay. Sarah, for us today, is three things. We're not going to get into these right now, but I, I know women like to know where are we going. One, she's a model of submission. Despite her problem with control and manipulation. Amen? Hallelujah. She's a model of submission. Peter gives us her as our model for submission as women. Not just as wives, submissions for everyone as we're going to talk about. Two, she's a portrait of redemption. I think about Rembrandt painting a portrait. She's a portrait of redemption. Do I need a handheld? Okay. I don't Have I hit it? Despite her failures. Should I? Okay, let me try one more time. Okay. She's a portrait of redemption despite her failures. Do you know that you are God's portrait of redemption despite your failures? Despite the mistakes you've made, God has an incredible plan for the rest of your life. And three, she's a woman of faith, despite laughing at God's promises. Now, if the Lord can take Sarah's life and transform her and change her into a woman of faith, he can do the same for you and me. Sarah's life story, we're going to look at it from three different angles. Sarah's mighty God her husband and family, and her individual calling to be a woman of faith. So let's dive in. If you'll will, turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the chapter of the Bible, towards the end of the Bible, where God takes the life of his heroes and he puts them in perspective. And it's like at a rehearsal dinner where you raise a toast to the bride and groom, it's best when there aren't roasts. Okay, we've been to too many where there are too many roasts and not enough toasts. But Hebrews 11 is God's toast, if you will. Without the roasts, without the mistakes, without the failures. And it's where he takes the beginning from the end and he's looking back over the thousands of years of the Bible and he highlights his heroes and heroines of faith and he says, this is my final word on them. Now, after we go through a little bit of Hebrews 11, we're actually going to go back to Genesis and see who they were 
in the day-to-day grind. By the way, it's so wonderful how the Lord puts things together. He always has a way of putting things together. If you go to our body, you might be a part of what we call Join the Journey. Jointhejourney.com is a ministry within our church where every day, Monday through Friday, throughout the year, you receive a devotional. You read a chapter of the Bible, and then you read a devotional that's written by someone is from middle schoolers to people up in their, you know, in their 80s on that chapter. And so you really get to know people through this devotional. And also you get to study the Bible together. We, we use it at home a lot, at the dinner table at night as a way to connect with our kids because it's real quick and easy. I recommend it highly. But this year, enjoying the journey, we are going through the Pentateuch, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy, and then Hebrews. And that's where we, where we are tonight. I didn't, I didn't plan that. I'm not that smart. God planned it. So anyway, open up, if you have your Bible, to Hebrews 11, and we're going to look at God's final analysis of Abraham and Sarah. And then we're going to go back to Genesis and talk more about them. Verse 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I have a simple way of saying that that you may have heard before. Faith is simply taking God at his word. You and I can be heroes of faith if we learn to just simply take God at his word. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. And now I'm going to add, and he'll do it. I've heard people say, and I'll do it. But what I've realized through my failures is that it's him doing it through me, not me doing it in my own strength. And there's an operative difference there that we're going to talk about. So, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Or earnestly seek him, depending on your translation. So the Lord opens up chapter 11 in Hebrews and says, this is faith. Take me at my word. Trust me. And he goes on to say, it's impossible to even please him without faith. I love what Tim Keller says about this. He says, the object of your faith, meaning the person who you're focusing your faith on, Christ, is so much more important than the amount of your faith. You can have a little faith in the right God, Jesus Christ, and you will be set Because if you have a little faith, he'll grow it. Or you can say, oh, I have a lot of faith, but in the wrong God, and you'll end up in the wrong place. So let's see what happens. He says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So in order to understand Sarah... We need to understand Abraham. Abraham was her husband and life partner. And at this time, when God's talking, he is referring to them at 2000 BC. Abraham and Sarah were living in Ur, which is now modern day Iraq, and they were living somewhat of a luxurious life. I mean, archaeologists and historians tell us that this city of Ur was full of every bit the glitz and glamour of the Big D. They had beauty parlors, banking centers, spas. Um, They even had indoor plumbing, some archaeologists say. And they were living in this pagan society, going about their daily life without a thought for God in the world. And the Lord is going to intersect in their life and call them out of darkness, out of their paganism, and into his marvelous light. And the way he does that is sending them on a journey. Abraham will eventually become probably and arguably the most important character in the Bible other than Jesus Christ himself. You know, even secular historians and encyclopedias, if you look up Father Abraham, they'll say, people call him the father of the three major world religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And we're going to get into in a little bit why Islam is a part of, of, of that line. So the Lord intersects with this man who doesn't know him, but over time he will become a pillar of faith. Jesus actually talks more about Abraham in his public ministry than anyone else other than his father, his personal heavenly father. 
James tells us that Abraham was the friend of God. Paul tells us that he's the father of all who believe. And if we believe, he is our father too. Jesus also says that paradise is in the bosom of Abraham. So I don't even understand. I don't even know how you can know the Bible without understanding Abraham and Sarah. So it's a great place to start tonight. And so it goes on to say, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. I just giggle here. I just have to tell you all this one thing because this is a total toast. Abraham didn't go for 25 years. But Hebrews 11 makes him look squeaky clean. Like he's as pure as the driven snow. I love this about the Lord. He takes his full life into account and he says, you know what? When he ended that race, he was a pillar for me. The Lord wants to do the same in our lives. I just love it. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. So when God called, oh my gosh, I hate camping. When God called, I'm telling you, I mean, I read that and I'm going, they lived in tents. Do y'all know they really, they literally lived in tents for 65 years? They can't, went from their McMansion in Ur, okay, in the Big D. The Lord called them up and out. He uprooted them, took them on a journey for six, over 60 years because she was about 65 when she left and she died at 127. And the Bible tells us she lived in a tent the rest of her life. Now that took faith. That took a lot of faith. But it's symbolic. It's symbolic to us today. What it means is her heart and his heart, they were not rooted in this world after God called them. Their heart became rooted in heaven. And so they could live in tents because it was the symbolism for you and me today that we are supposed to not have our hearts and our feet deeply firm, firmly planted in this world, but in the world to come. So he drew them out. They went and lived in tents. And the Lord points that out. And it says in verse 10, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. All these people were still living by faith when they died. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own, a heavenly one. If you and I keep our eyes too focused on this world, we will be miserable. And on those days when we have kept our eyes focused on the here and now in this world, we were miserable, were we not? But they were looking to the heavenly city, to the city whose architect and builder were God. And if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, did y'all track with that? I know that was a, that was a lot, those were a lot of verses. Let me put this in layman's terms. You and I are called in 2013 to live in Dallas, Texas physically, but spiritually. And when we connect to our sisters in Christ, we are supposed to be connecting on a spiritual life in a way that will make a difference when we get to eternity. And I'll never forget, um, my mom was just a wonderful Bible teacher, and she was really a mentor. She was my best friend. She was my, I felt like she was almost my everything. And uh, when I was 27... And she was 51. She went to be with the Lord. She died of breast cancer. And uh, actually this week we just had her 15, the 15th anniversary of her passing. And she was one. And I, I did, the reason I, I want to tell you this story about her because it, it, it helps give a little context to how you and I can be in this world but not of it. She died very shortly after her diagnosis, only 10 months so from the time she had her mammogram, and I, I'll never forget the phone call. She called me. I happened to be visiting my parents. She called. She said, I need to talk to Dad. The mammogram isn't good. And when she was diagnosed, she was already in stage three. So it was a rapid-growing cancer. And so, um, of course, we all, I mean, you know, 911, prayer for healing, went out <laughs> across the globe. And for about nine and a half months, we prayed for healing. 
I mean, diligently, we knew that God could heal her. We trusted that God might heal her. We wanted God to heal her. And about two weeks before she passed away, I think she came to terms with the fact that the Lord was going to take her home. And so I, feel, I think she started preparing us for that fact. You know, if I'm not here in a little while, I'm going to see you in the life to come. No, Mom, we don't want to hear that. But at that point, the cancer had metastasized to her liver and her lungs. And so, you know, it didn't look good, but of course we still kept praying. I mean, literally, we had neighbors who were marching around our house blowing horns, like Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. That's how much people loved her. And, um, but one night she called Hunter, my husband, into the, into the bedroom, and she said, um, Hunter, do you have time to read me some scriptures? And he said, well, sure. I got, I got to start talking like her when I tell a story about her because she had this southern drawl. It was so sweet. She said, well, I was wondering if you could read me Isaiah. He said, well, of course, I'd love to read Isaiah, but it is 66 chapters. It's the longest book in the Bible. <laughs> Where do you want me to start? <laughs> and she said, well, right at the beginning. <laughs> I'm sure at that point you're thinking, am I going to be here for like three solid days? And he said, well, of course, I'd love to read to you, Kathy Jean, but, but why Isaiah? She said, well, you know, I've studied and really read and even taught a lot of the Bible, but I've never really studied Isaiah. And she said, and I think I'm going to meet the Lord soon. And she said, and when I do, I'll be so excited to greet him. And I'll be so excited to greet the patriarchs like Moses and Abraham and David. She goes, but I won't have anything to say to Isaiah if you don't read me this book. He started reading. What is the point of that story? She came to the end of her life with heaven in mind. She came to the end of her life with heaven in mind. And she did not want to be able to see Isaiah and not have a fresh word to talk to him about. <laughs> you and I, if you don't have cancer right now or you don't have an illness that's terminal, you probably tend to think you have many more years to live. But we need to live in light of the fact that we don't know how long we have. We need to live with eternity in view now. That, there's no other way to live. That'll help us this year. That'll help us this decade. That'll help us when we come to the end. But if we can live each day in light of eternity, we will be the happiest people on earth. Okay. So this is what the Lord had to say about them in Hebrews 11. Now we're going to go back to Genesis 12 and see what the daily grind was really about. Right? Get back to the grind. It's like, okay, Mary Clayton, that all sounds good and heavenly, but I have to get my kids to school on time. I've got to, I've got to get to work on time. I've got to turn in plans to my boss. Okay, so let's get back to the daily grind. But don't forget the heavenly vision. So go back to Genesis 12. Up to this point, before Genesis 12, in Genesis 1 through 11, we have an introduction to the book and to the Bible. We have creation, Adam and Eve, the fall, Cain killing Abel, Enoch, Noah and the ark. I still can't believe that Noah preached 120 years and never had a convert. That took faith. <laughs> and the Tower of Babel. And then we get to Genesis 11, and we're about to be introduced to Abraham and Sarah as a couple. This is about 2000 B.C. And just before Genesis 12, we see the Lord inserts this verse in 1130 that says, Now Sarah was barren. She had no children. I'm sure if you're dealing with infertility, you have read this, this section of Scripture many, many times. Because barrenness, since the beginning of time, has been a source of grief for women. In the ancient East, though, truly people considered you cursed if you couldn't bear children. And all of the inheritance and all of the blessings were passed down through the, through the men. So if you were a wife and you couldn't bear children, you truly did feel worthless unless if you could find your worth in the Lord. So we know that she was beautiful. History teaches us that she was beautiful and she grew beautiful with each passing year. 
but she was barren. So she had this empty place in her life, this longing in her life to have children. Skip down to chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Now, if you're going to make someone into a great nation, what do they need to have first of all? Children, right? I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth through you will be blessed. So just to set the stage, by the way, if you're doing Join the Journey, this is our scripture memory of the month. (laughs) So God intersects with their life, and he says, get up and leave your comfortable lifestyle and go to a land that I will reveal to you. And by the way, I'm going to make a great people from you and Sarah. You're going to become greater in number than the sands on the seashore. And Sarah's thinking, wow. So I am going to have children. This is awesome. And it appears that she submits to Abraham and off they go. But there was about a 25-year delay in there. (laughs) So if you have not obeyed something the Lord told you to do 25 years ago, there's still time. Okay? (laughs) What's really interesting about that too, though, is that the Lord typically doesn't give us step two in our journey of faith until what? Until we've taken step one. So if there's an area of your life of disobedience that you are still hanging back on, it's unlikely that he's going to give you step two until you let go of step one. And single ladies in this room, I have a message for you. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. If you are dating an unbeliever or seriously considering marrying or engaged to an unbeliever, or even a believer who's apathetic, okay? Because I get this thing from single girls, oh, but he is a believer. Well, would it, he accepted Christ when he was four. He's never grown since. Okay, I'm not, I'm not taking that loophole. So if you are dating or seriously considering marrying an unbeliever or an apathetic believer, my word to you tonight is get up, run out of here after I'm finished, and go break up and run the other direction. Life is hard enough. When you are married to a godly man, right? Those in here married, my husband loves the Lord. But gosh, we're two sinners dealing with everyday problems with these four kids. You should have seen us before we got here. Life is hard enough when you're following Christ. Don't buy extra problems. Don't buy them. But the thing is, I hear these girls say, oh, if the Lord would show me someone great, then I would let go of person A, John Doe. Then I would jump into John Smith. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. I wish it did. I wish it It doesn't work like that. Life is hard enough when you're with the right person. So if you are single, embrace your singleness. Enjoy your singleness. But don't settle for the wrong person because you're desperate. You will only be buying tons more problems and issues. Now, I'm not saying you have to marry a perfect guy because that were the case, none of we'd all be single the rest of our life. I'm just saying don't settle for anything other than God's best for you. So they delay for a while, but they eventually get on the journey of faith. And it says in verse 4, So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out on his journey of faith. Did y'all hear that? So don't think you're too old. I don't think we have that many women in here over 75. Abraham did not even start his journey of faith till he was 75. Sarah was 10 years younger, so she was 65. So it is not too late to get in this race of faith. It is not too late to get in this game. And they set out in their tents. <laughs> in their tents. I can't wait to tell. When I see Sarah, I'm going to kiss her feet. And I'm going to go, bless you for living in a tent for 65 years. I couldn't have done it for three days. (laughs) And so they get halfway there, and they settle for a while. And over time, they go on this journey of faith. They make lots of mistakes along the way. Um, 
Abraham did partially disobey the Lord. The Lord had said at the beginning of Genesis 12, don't take your father's household. But he did take Lot. And it says, and not only did he take Lot, his nephew, it says he took all the possessions they had accumulated, and he was a wealthy idol maker, and the people they had acquired. So he had an entourage. So anyway, Lot's going to cause a lot of problems for him. We can't go through every detail, but we're just going to hit the highlights. So what happens is they've been on this journey for about 10 years, and we get to the beginning of Genesis 16. We know they're still in the race of faith because they're still living in tents. They haven't turned back to Ur. Hebrews 11 told us they had plenty of opportunities to return had they wanted. They kept in the race of faith. But right here in chapter 16, we have a juncture. Sarah has been on this journey for 10 years. She didn't start it till she was 65, and she was barren. Now she's 75, and she is still without a baby to show. She's still without the promise. The Lord has said they are going to be a great nation. Jesus Christ will eventually come and be born from their line, Judaism. And she's thinking, I must have misheard the Lord. I must have misheard. Maybe I didn't understand. And we see in chapter 16, verse 1, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant, who I'm sure was very good looking, named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Are y'all following this? Okay. She's been on the journey of faith for 10 years. She's now 75. Abraham's around 85. There's no child. She's saying, did I really hear the Lord's promise? She's gotten weary and waiting. Now, you and I, I honestly, don't, we don't have the same excuse. I mean, sometimes I say we do, but we really don't. I mean, they didn't even have the written word. They didn't even have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have community groups. They didn't have a church to go to. It was just them and this slew of horrible family members. They didn't have the tools that you and I have, right? But nevertheless, the Lord had asked them to wait on him, and they got weary. And Sarah says, go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps, I'd say they need re-engage. <laughs> re-engage is our marriage ministry. I was thinking about this day. I was reading, I was like, they really needed to go to re-engage before they made that decision. <laughs> go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. You will never accomplish the purposes of God in your life through sin. Yes, we know that God works all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But our sinfulness cannot accomplish God's will in that moment. Abram agreed to what she said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. I, do y'all feel sick at your stomach or is it just me? It's awful. He slept with Hagar. And lo and behold, she got pregnant. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Well, I guess so. Then Sarah said to Abram, now we're going to move into some blame shifting big time. You are responsible for this. <laughs> How many times have we done this to our husbands or a friend or a parent? It's all your fault. In fact, Becca May, tonight when I was getting ready for this, she goes, you have to go play with me. I said, Becca May, I can't go play with you. Right? She goes, if I was a mother of children, I would stop what I was doing right now and help me. <laughs> I, I go, they're waiting. They're waiting in the auditorium. She goes, if I was a mother. Okay, our nature is to blame shift. So she takes this. She says, it's your fault. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge you between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. That wasn't a good thing to say. 
Okay, so basically, Sarah gets weary in waiting, and she takes matters into her own hands. Where are you weary and waiting right now? Don't take matters into your own hands. Keep waiting. Faith is not paralyzation. Faith is hopeful expectation that God will work in his way and on his timetable. He will do it. And if he doesn't do what you want, he'll still be enough. He's worth the wait. At the end of this chapter, <clears throat> this is chapter 16, and at the end of this chapter, we see that God goes dark for about 13 years. There's no message between God and Abraham and Sarah for 13 years. So they turned their I say they turned their backs. They were still in the embrace of faith. How do we know? They didn't go back to Ur. But they were at a place of impasse with the Lord and with each other. And we've all been there. And that's why we need each other. That's why we have to have each other, to help each other through our places of impasse. And there's a time of silence there from when Abraham's 86 to 99, and that means Sarah's about 76 to 86. <laughs> and the Lord comes again 13 years later and speaks again. When Abram was 99 years old, chapter 17, verse 1, the Lord appeared to him. Hallelujah. There's room at the cross for me. The grace abounds. He appears again, and he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Abraham, I will confirm my covenant to you and Sarah, and your numbers will greatly increase. Okay, so the God of glory comes back 13 years later and says, I am able to still do this, and I am going to do this. What is Abraham's reaction? This is hilarious. Abraham fell down and starts laughing. He's like, what? I've got Ishmael now. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I've already, we've already tried that. Sarah's been barren all these years. We counted the days. We took the tests. It didn't work. We went to plan B. What does the Lord say? No, no plan B. Back to plan A. And it's not until you get to the end of yourself and let go and let God, will I do plan A. And I think at this point, they had, don't y'all think they'd pretty much gotten to the end of themselves, living out in the desert in these tents. And now Sarah has this step, I don't know what you call him, stepson, half son, I don't know. Abraham has a son with the housekeeper. It doesn't get any worse than that, people. So I think that they had come to the end of themselves. But Abraham laughs. He just starts laughing and says, how are you going to do this? Verse 15, God also said to Abraham, and as for Sarah, your wife, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. So after she just botched everything in God's grace, he says, no longer am I going to call her princess, Sarai. I'm going to call her the queen of nations, Sarah. Abraham's like, what? How is this? Because I love you, because I'm gracious despite you, despite your failures, despite your sins. And he says, and I'm no longer going to call you Abram, father. I'm going to call you Abraham, father of nations, because I will complete this work in your lives. Can y'all say amen? Can y'all say thank you, Lord? The burden of proof is on the Lord. If we will stay in the race of faith, if we will get back in the race of faith, he will prove himself faithful to us time and time again. So over the next couple of chapters, we see God coming to Abraham and Sarah. In chapter 18, the Lord comes again with two angels, 
And Abraham recognizes that this is a divine appointment, a divine meeting. And the Lord says, to, I mean, Abraham says to Sarah, go cook a meal quickly. Go get, a, go get a meal for these men. And so she begins to cook. And while she's in the tent cooking, in verse 10, the Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening quietly at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old, well advanced in years, and she was well past childbearing, like we didn't know that, right? So Sarah laughed to herself and thought, am I going to have a baby when I'm this worn out and my master is old? Will I have this pleasure now? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah just laugh at me? I love this. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? He says that of himself. I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid and lied and said, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, yes, you did laugh. I love it. I just love Genesis. See, Hebrews 11 makes everything in a big, beautiful package with a big bow. Genesis tells us like it is. So, the Lord says, basically, you've come to the end of yourself. You're 99 and 89. There's no way any doctor's going to make that happen. And now, I'll move. Once you and I get to the end of our own efforts, we're giving God room to really move. So, between, though, what's so interesting is that Sarah had to keep growing in her faith over the next nine months. Between this chapter and when Isaac, the promised child, will be born, a lot happens. Abraham has to go to war, so she's probably alone a lot of that time. Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. Abraham has to go down to Sodom and uh, basically get Lot and his family out. Lot's wife turns and lusts for the world, and what happens to her? turns to salt. So much happens. Abraham has to go to war. And in this nine months, Sarah's faith has to really grow on her own. She's 90 years old. She's going to have to have a vaginal birth. They didn't have any C-sections back then. (laughs) She's going to have to have faith day by day by day in that nine-month period where her faith grows exponentially. And she has to be able to lean on the Lord and have her own relationship with the Lord while Abraham's off fighting these wars and saving people. And in that nine months, her faith grows and grows and grows. And nine months later, the birth of Isaac comes. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah What he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God has promised. God is never late. We think he's late, but from his standpoint, he's never late. He's always on time. Let go and let God. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son Sarah, to the son Sarah bore him. Isaac means laughter. When his son Isaac was eight days old, they circumcised him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I'm just about out of time. So I will quickly close. I just want to say a few things in closing about these three takeaways that we have. Number one, Sarah is a model of submission for you and me in 2013. What does the word submission mean? I think people have a lot of misconceptions about what submission really means. The word submission means to yield authority or to come under. And it doesn't just apply to women who are married. Everyone in this world has to learn to submit, or we would live in total chaos, right? Teams have to submit to coaches or captains. Children have to submit to parents. Students have to submit to teachers. Teachers have to submit to principals. You might have to submit to your small group leader or your pastor or your elder. 
So we all have to learn to yield our authority to another. And we have to learn to do it even when they don't deserve it. Part of submission is learning to yield and submit even when that person doesn't deserve it. Now, of course, we're never called to submit to sin. But in the normal daily grind, we have to learn to submit. And Sarah in 1 Peter 3 is modeled for us, really highlighted, is not only a woman of faith, but as a submissive woman. And Peter tells us, wives, be submissive in the same way to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Now, it takes a lot of faith to believe that verse, right? How many times do you want to be silent and pray for your husband if he disagrees with you? <laughs> but right here, Peter says, that is a lot more of an effective way of changing your husband than getting in there and being that drippy faucet. And Peter says that, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging your hair, wearing fancy clothes or jewelry, but let it be your inner self, the unfading beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him Lord, you are her daughters if you do not do, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So we see that she is modeled as a woman of submission. She could only submit, in my opinion, and leave her and live in a tent for 65 years. She could only submit if she had her own relationship with the Lord. Yes, she looked to him as her leader, but she had to have her own relationship with the Lord in order to stay on this journey of faith all these years. She had to have her own relationship with the Lord to carry a baby for nine months at age 90. You have to have your own relationship with the Lord. I have to have my own relationship with the Lord. Yes, we rely on community groups. Yes, we rely on Bible studies. Yes, we rely on small groups and our husbands and our families. But when push comes to shove, we've got to be able to stay in the race of faith even when others around us falter. Secondly, she is a portrait of redemption despite her failures. God often uses waiting to reveal who we really are. He uses our waiting time to reveal our vulnerability, our pride, our sin, our idols, the things that really make us tick that aren't right. And he had to use that time to work out her faith with her, to redeem her. The word redemption or redeem means to recover, to buy back, to convert. So he converted her, redeemed her, bought her back, and made her who she was supposed to be over time. Don't take matters into your own hands. It's never worth it. And then thirdly, she is ultimately a heroine of faith for you and me. In Hebrews 11, she is one of only two women mentioned in the hall of fame for faith. Because she came to believe that God could do what he said he would do in his time and in his way. Now, you and I do not need to wait till we get to the end of our lives to become a woman of faith. You and I can become women of faith right here, right now. We've got the whole Bible. We've got all these amazing women around us. We have so many tools in place to enable us to become women of faith. And she didn't have any of that, and she still became one. It's more about resting and trusting and who God is than us trying to do more and be more. It's allowing his life to overtake our lives and make us become who we were always called to be. So in summary, I just want to say, there is no mistake that you've made that will separate you from the love of God. Did y'all hear me? There is no mistake that you have made that will separate you from the love of God or keep you from getting back in the race of faith. There's not. And because of this, we can also laugh. We can enjoy our life of faith. 
Sarah is not a standard, if you will, that we have to live up to. Rather, she shows us the faithfulness of God despite her failures. If he was willing to do that for Sarah, he is more than willing to do that for you and me. Now I'm going to close. Did I already say that? (laughs) There are really three. I think about us in three categories tonight. There's three groups here tonight. And all of us need to charge or recharge in a different area. Number one, you're sitting there and this is all new to you. And you maybe didn't understand hardly anything I said. But do you know what? Like I said at the very beginning, you are here because God has called you to be here. Yes, a friend might have invited you, but you are here tonight because God called you to be here. And not only to sit in this room and enjoy the music and hear the message, but to give your life to Christ, to get in the race of faith for the first time. Today is your day of salvation, and we invite you to give your life to Christ. He's worth it. He'll never disappoint. Number two, you're a believer, a follower of Christ, but you've either, you've either gotten stuck in grief, something's happened to you, or you've made some bad decisions. Either Maybe you're living a double life. Maybe you just have one major sin issue in your life that just keeps dragging you out of the race of faith. And the Lord is here to say, repent. What is repent? Turn away. Turn away and run into his arms. James says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Now, a lot of us like Half of that verse, confess your sins that you may be healed. And what do we leave out? To one another. The healing comes when we confess to each other. The healing comes when we pray with each other. Not just, it's not just here, it's here. And then thirdly, there are some of you, probably very few, but who are just in a place with the Lord that is so beautiful You're in the race of faith, and we just want to say, keep running. Get in there more in 2013. Go deeper with the Lord. Get more intimate. Talk to Him more. And keep discipling all those people that you brought tonight, because we need you. We need you. But keep running the race of faith. And don't take your faith for granted. Don't take this race for granted. Don't take your relationship with the Lord for granted. In fact, the person who I studied this message with for the very first time, the life of Sarah. I first studied the life of Sarah about 25 years ago with a very dear friend who I got a lot of points actually from my message tonight, is no longer in the race of faith. You would have never believed it, but we cannot take our faith for granted or our relationship with the Lord. Now I'm still praying she's going to jump back in, but she jumped out about 15 years ago And she, I thought, was a pillar of faith. She got offended and jumped out. So don't take your faith for granted or your relationship with the Lord and just keep diving right in.